And I really liked that, but it just didn't pay a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I said to myself, that was like one of my first epiphanies, my quarter life crisis, right? So I was like 22 ish. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I had a degree, I had a bachelor's degree, and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I was married and I had two little kids, and I knew I needed to do something, right? So I knew that I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I knew that about me. I always knew I wanted to have my own business. I just didn't know what, what it was, right? Yeah. So I said, you know, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get a master's degree. I'm going to get MBA. So I did. Nice. Two little kids, MBA school. I graduate with my MBA. Still didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do? So I was like, you know what? I will just apply for jobs. Why did I start applying for jobs? Because sometimes God has to push you into your destiny. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Improper Mimi. It is I, your host, Mimi Jacks, and we are back today and it's going to be a little bit different. You know, we like to talk and touch on different topics. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about your career. All right. And then I also want to let you guys know that we are getting ready to wrap up season four, but don't worry. I actually have something in store for you guys this fall. So it's going to be a little different. I'll tell you more about that later. So today we are going to be talking with Candice Whitaker, and she is the CEO of Alpha and Omega Consulting. She is a career coach. She is a podcaster. She is woman extraordinaire. And when I met her, I just loved her energy, and I was so excited to get to bring her to meet you guys as well. Candice, I want to ask you, can you tell us a little bit about what it is you do and why you love it so much? Absolutely. First of all, I want to say thank you so much, Mimi, for having me. We met just a couple of weeks ago at the Black Is Tech Conference, and that was an example of Candace just trying something new. So that's something that I do throughout my life. And that's kind of how I landed on the life that I have today. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, I am CEO of Alpha and Omega Consulting. And that is an IT consulting company where we basically work in the change management space. Anything related to change, training, design, anything you need to get your product out and to understand how to use it. That's the stuff that we do. How did I get there? Well, that wasn't a linear path. (laughs) (laughs) As it often is not with our lives, right? (laughs) It is not. Life is not a linear path. The biggest thing that I want to impart to not only your listeners, but to everybody, I feel like my life's calling is to have people understand that you need to just understand that this is a journey. Mm -hmm. Take life as it is. And as you learn on your journey, you'll get more information to help you along your path. So to answer your question, how did I get there? Well, let's start with the fact that 18-year-old Candace started college as a music major. Okay. Right? (laughs) A music major. Completely different. You like take the time to ask them. So yeah, so started as a uh, music major. Yeah, actually, Only people who have known me for 20 plus years know this. I was an opera singer. Shout out to Purchase College. Okay, get out of here. Yeah, I was in a conservatory. And one of the things that I tell people in coaching is that even though you may think training as an opera singer is completely unrelated to being an IT 
person who yeah. does training and coaching, I will tell you that a lot of the skills that I learned, I use every day. I'm sure. Yeah. Being able to present yourself, mm-hmm. being able to walk in a room and command attention and authority without saying anything. Mm-hmm. Those are the intangible skills that when people look at you and say, wow, she's a leader, ah, kind of. You know, you're an introvert. And that's not to say that introverts cannot be leaders. I I think leadership is something that some people are just kind of born with it innately, but it takes practice. You have to learn. It's like a skill. Leadership is a swag. Mm, mm -hmm. It's a swag. And that's what I'm saying. I learned how to do that as a singer because nobody is going to pay attention to a singer that's standing there with their shoulders slumped. (laughs) Right? So, those same skills that seemed like, why are you doing this at the time? Obviously, the creator had a very specific plan for me and knew that I would need it later. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm here to explain that nothing is a waste of time. Right. So I started out as a music major and that wasn't a good fit for me. Although I like to sing, I knew that that just was not the path for me. There's a difference between liking to sing and wanting to be a singer. Those are two (laughs) very different things. Mm -hmm. And actually, this is a sidebar, but probably good information. What I learned in the conservatory of how to listen, how to critically listen to music kind of destroyed music for me in a way, because most people can just listen and be like, wow, okay, that was great. And I listen and say, "Ooh, that was flat. Oh, yeah. Ooh, your intonation wasn't good on that. It ruined it for me. Like, I just can't sit there and enjoy mediocre singers. Like, it ruined it. Yeah. Now you're like <laughs> analyzing things because once you know, then you're like, mm, I can't shut that off. I know this is not right. Exactly. So, when you know, you know. So, I'll tell you the rest of my path. So, after I graduated, I got a job as a music teacher. Okay. And I really liked that, but it just didn't pay a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, So I said to myself, that was like one of my first epiphanies, my quarter life crisis, right? So I was like 22-ish. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I had a degree. I had a bachelor's degree and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I was married and I had two little kids and I knew I needed to do something. I knew that I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I knew that about me. I always knew I wanted to have my own business. I just didn't know what what it was, right? So I said, you know... I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get a master's degree. I'm going to get MBA. So I did. Nice. Two little kids, MBA school. I graduate with my MBA. Still didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do? So I was like, you know what? I will just apply for jobs. Why did I start applying for jobs? Because sometimes God has to push you into your destiny. The job that I was very comfortable with as a music teacher, they were like, listen, we love you, but we don't know that we have the budget to hire you for next year. And I was like, oh no, this will not be my portion. We need to have a steady paycheck, honey. (laughs) Right. We want to have control over our destiny, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, baby. No. So I got a job as a corporate trainer in an IT department. I literally knew nothing about this. Never heard of it. That was not one of the job choices at the job fair growing up. I didn't even know that was a thing. Boom. Mm-hmm. So I was a teacher. I figured I could be a trainer. Yeah. Literally, I doubled my salary. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Right right? I just stumbled into this and doubled the salary. I did. And I worked for a very prestigious institution. Mm-hmm. So that my grandmother was telling people, this is my granddaughter. And she works at Yale. Like, I didn't even have a name anymore. (laughs) She was telling her little friends. She was so proud. (laughs) Grandma was proud. Yeah. 
I learned a lot being there. I learned a lot about IT. Right. I transitioned from being a trainer to a business analyst, right? Because there's only so long that you can teach people how to click before you are actually working in the system. So we transitioned to that. And that was a whole toxic work environment. That's a whole different conversation for another day. But the skills I learned there, I still get paid on almost 20 years ago. Nice. I tell people often, I'm like, when you learn something new, like they can't take that away from you. So as your that part. hunger for knowledge grows, just keep learning things. Keep your finger on the pulse. Know what's going on. What's no, know what's new in the industry right now. You know, just know what's going on around you. Well, let me just say this. I learned a lot being there. A lot. A lot about myself, a lot about IT, but also a lot about what I will and will not accept for the whole rest of my life. Yes. That environment was very different from any environment I'd ever been in in my life. So, and I'm going to explain. Just in case you haven't caught the accent by now, I'm from New York, born and raised. I moved to Connecticut, which was 50 miles away from where I grew up. I had no idea that it would be like moving to a foreign country. (laughs) It definitely is not the city. Yes. Connecticut is very strange. And if you're not accustomed to that, Mm -hmm. I remember when I first started casually saying, because I really was just thinking out loud and almost in awe, like, wow, people speak English here all the time. (laughs) Like you don't hear anybody speak anything else. Yeah. And somebody was like, what other language did they speak? I was like, the hell? What's with the anger? Yeah. We're just looking for diversity. We we miss it. (laughs) But that right there. That was my whole experience in Connecticut. Were they trying to put you in a box or just trying to like... You had two type of people mm. for in the season diaspora in Connecticut, because I love my people. Mm-hmm. You have those who were assimilated mm-hmm. and trying very hard to assimilate. She, me, her, I don't assimilate. Mm-hmm. That's a personal choice, but you know. And then you have your cousins. <laughs> and then- you know the ones you don't talk to. <laughs> I was like, where are the regular black folks? Right. Right in the middle that can like a chameleon, you know, like, hey, I could do with you and I could do with you too. Like, yes. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, regular people. I'm not Jack and Jill bread. I'm not Lynx. Uh Just standard issue American Negroes. Where are we? (laughs) Where's the party at? Where's the cookout? You know, we're living life. Right. (laughs) The ones who can be regular. Yeah, we have our jobs. We put on our voice. And then, like, (laughs) you play spades, too. Right. Yeah. You need to be ambidextrous in that way. (laughs) But that was good because later on, I was a consultant and I was on the road. And I had to very quickly adapt to being in situations that were very different from what I was accustomed to. That experience made me understand and truly appreciate how different my upbringing was in New York. We never talked about diversity everybody. I had white friends, Asian friends, Indian friends. Like that wasn't a thing. I knew about racism as an abstract concept, but I can honestly say Mm. I'd never experienced it until I left home. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now see, and I grew up in Ohio, but I really was raised and spent like 30 years in Boston. So Boston is very kind of segregated. Boston is mad racist. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're right. You just go jump right in it. It's just mad. I mean, uh-huh. we ain't got no cut cards. I'm from New York. We don't like Boston anyway. Hey, hey. <laughs> no Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, now I've been living in New York for the last eight years, and I love New York. And I wouldn't go back to live in Boston, but I love Boston. I, it was very clicky. It, you know, people would talk about the racist, and I'm like, oh, well, I just didn't go over there. You know, like I went everywhere I wanted to go in Boston. I didn't really have too many issues. I think I probably encountered racism as a as a teenager, more so in Ohio than in than in Boston, but we could definitely recognize and see the difference, you know, from like the Northeast and from the South of it being right in your face or it being kind of like, you know, hidden, you know, and just something that you kind of be like, hmm, I think that was racist. Or I think I, you know, that guy's like, I didn't get that promotion because you know they're they're helping their buddy, they're bringing you know other white guys up instead of me, and I'm like. Okay. So you kind of have to like detect it in Boston. I mean, you know it's there. Don't get me started on the subtle racism of the Northern white liberal. Mm. Don't get me started. One of my friends who graduated from Yale calls it up South. Up South. That's a new one. I haven't heard of that, but it's there. And it's a thing. It's a thing. And it's kind of crazy because even I mean, I don't want to go too far off on this racism because, right, you don't like, don't get us started. But yeah, one of my like <laughs> young nephews was like, oh no, I don't think they meant that. And my, me and my mom are like, uh, yeah, yes, that was, that was actually very deliberate. And they did know exactly what they were doing and how it would, might, would make you feel. We have to know. White racism yeah. and black love is the reason that we still have a society. Mm-hmm. That benefit of the doubt right there. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That just to give it one more try or to maybe, or, you know, perhaps, you know, let's, you know, let's give it, a, you know, maybe that's not what they meant and just give it another try, but it's, that's done. That is so done. Like even when we're talking about our, our careers and, and your journey, you know, so you definitely were able to see that at Yale. I'm sure of it. Like we said, Connecticut maybe. is so different from the city. So different, no diversity. So you kind of stick out. Well, and that's the thing, you know, they want everything on paper. Mm-hmm. Right. So they want to look good. They want to make sure that everybody understands who they are or they who they want their image to be. But in terms of living up to what you profess. Proof ain't in the pudding. <laughs> that part. Another thing that I learned, and this was really important, though, everybody talks about relationships at work. And I have a couple of episodes on my pod talking about relationships at work. The number one thing that I want people to understand related to relationships at work is don't assume that people at work are your friends. They're not. No, don't get stuck in that trap. They're not. They're not. They're strategic alliances. Mm -hmm. My litmus test is if we're still friends after we don't work together, all right, we're friends. Right. Yeah. But (laughs) while we work together, you basically have like allies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have clear enemies. Nemesis. I like to call them nemesis. Mm. Right? I have a lot of those. <laughs> you have the neutral people. Mm-hmm. But the enemy of my enemy is yep. my friend. That's right. Keep them close. <laughs> and you have to play it like that. And you have to understand that's what it is. I don't like playing games as a person in my life, but I learned at 25 years old when I was put into this environment Baby, either you're going to play or you're going to get played. Yeah. And that is a hard lesson to learn so early because if you think about it, 
we're still learning about ourselves, you know, in those 20s to then realize that other people aren't who they say they are and they have an agenda. Oh, my. And when I tell you 25-year-old Candace, who was so excited and pleased to be there in this department with a bunch of middle-aged white women who were just mad that I was there and couldn't understand why I was there. Mm -hmm. That was a hard pill for me to swallow. Yeah. But Mm. the creator in his infinite mercy made me an only child. So guess what? I've been accustomed to riding dolo throughout my whole life. I don't need anybody's acceptance. I don't care if you don't like me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be over here, right here in my cubicle, minding my black business. If you mm-hmm. want to talk to me, cool. If not, that's cool too. I hear you. They didn't know how to take me at all. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, huh, we're trying to like intimidate her. It's not really working. She's like, maintaining her, you know, you know, dignity and doing what you got to do. Cause I know like for me, it was like by any means necessary. I actually had my daughter young. I was a senior in high school, took off a break over the summer. Then I went to college in the fall. And so, and then I started work right away after college. So I needed, like you say, you had a family, you were married, like you needed to get this job done. You need to figure out what it is that you wanted to do so that you could bring that money in and help with the family. Exactly. I mean, I had our oldest daughter young as well. She was born when I was basically a senior in college. That's a different conversation. But same thing. Definitely needed to make sure that we had a steady income. But then let's really talk about this really quickly. Small diversion. Mm -hmm. Black people ain't really afraid to be broke because we've been broke before. Right? Like, this is a little game. We're going to see how far we can stretch this food until the end of the week. Like, let's do this. We got this. I mean, you know the deal. Yeah. You're like, I know. It's like, no matter how much I make, I remember what those hard days were like. So I'm not afraid to, you know. We don't be jumping out of windows and carrying on when they're doing layoffs. That's other folks. We'd be like, I. Right. Someone was just saying like, oh, what would, ha- what would you do if, you know, you did get laid off like right now? I was like, well, I'd take a six month, you know, I'd take that severance. I would take, you know, six months off. I might travel, you know, live somewhere else. I would regenerate, you know, I would take it as a blessing. Like, you know, hey, <laughs> like you say, change management. We are able to take something and make something else with it. But that's where I learned resilience, right? Mm-hmm. I've been resilient my whole entire life. Mm-hmm. But previously, I was just called stubborn. Yes, yes. Hard headed makes a soft lot behind. I heard that one a lot. (laughs) Hard headed, stubborn, crazy. Mm -hmm. Because I was crazy enough to believe if it was something I really wanted to do, I was going to do it. And I didn't care what other people said. Yeah, yeah. You would find a way to do it. That's that on that. Y'all dragged me up in church every Sunday (laughs) and y'all told me I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Guess who believed it? Yes. I tell everybody I was abused. My mother was seven day Adventist. That means they went to church on Saturday. My father was AME. So we went to church on Sunday. I was saved, saved. Okay. Church all weekend, every weekend. And then y'all wonder why I believe. I know in whom I have believed. Absolutely. (laughs) And it ain't a joke joke. Like it's facts. You're right. It, It becomes ingrained in you that I can do anything. If I want my boss's job, I could do it. I could take it. That part. But so let's really talk about that. Yeah. So 
to go back just for a second, my relationships at work that I built with my alliances is how I was able to transition into eventually taking my boss's job. Long story short, when I was at the university, it was super toxic. I had a bunch of people telling me what I wasn't, who I couldn't be. I thought too much of myself, all of these kinds of things, whatever. We already talked about how I feel about that. (laughs) But then the Lord made a way. Mm -hmm. One of my allies Mm -hmm. became my boss. Okay. Yeah. Boom. Mm -hmm. So then the conversations when Candace wasn't in the room shifted from what she couldn't do, Mm -hmm. what she was too young to do to, well, Candace has been doing this now for five years and Candace has led this project and Candace is super great at that. Mm Mm-hmm. So that led to me being able to get training. Yes. Thousands of dollars worth of training and development and certifications that they sent me to get Mm -hmm. that I still feed my family off of to this day. Right. People don't realize sometimes those things you learn in the workforce can be used in your life for other that part, other jobs and other consulting or entrepreneurship. Use that information, right? It's in there. Listen, what I tell folks is I like to talk real. You know, you're improper, Mimi. Mm -hmm. On Bail Yourself Out, my whole vibe is happy hour. So I talk how we talk. Same. No code switching here. (laughs) I talk how we talk. You got to pimp these hoes. (laughs) Use them same skills that you would use trying to play somebody's ashy son or daughter. That ain't going to make you no money. Mm -hmm. And take what you can get. All of it. Right. Everything. Mm -hmm. And just like a squirrel, stack your nuts. (laughs) Get them nuts. That's right. (laughs) Get them nuts. And the quickest way to get your boss's job is to get you another one. Ooh. Okay. That'll get you a raise and a promotion. Yeah. So to get another one, to get another one somewhere else or like get another one within the same organization, you know, like people, sometimes people do zigzag. Like, so let's break that down. That's a great question. I really don't think there's a linear path. It really depends on the organization. This particular organization that I'm talking about, it wouldn't have been beneficial for me to stay and get my boss's job Mm -hmm. just because of how the grade system was set in terms of pay. I would have gotten more money. Yeah. But the aggravation of being with them same people was not worth it for me. Periodically, I'll say I need a new set of white people. And I said what I said. (laughs) So for me, Uh (laughs) that looks like a new company. Uh Like, no, I need a new set of people. And it's so bad. At this point, I've had so many jobs. I start merging people's name. Is that Melissa? No, that was the last job. What's this lady's name? (laughs) Uh This one is an advocate. You know, that one's, you know, sponsor. Like, this one's just a pain in the butt. But like, they may not even have names. They just have descriptions. Exactly. Like, and you know what? After a while, it doesn't even matter. At the end of the day. You need to understand who's who in the zoo. Mm-hmm. What they can and cannot do for you. That part. Mm-hmm. Take what you need and bounce. Right. You talked about sponsors, people who will advocate for you when you're not in the room. Mm-hmm. Those people who will speak well of you when you're not around. There is no better friend than a sponsor. When you're not in the room, what they're saying can impact your path. It can't dictate everything about your path because you have, you know, input and decision on that, but they can help, you know, guide and see how that flow goes. 
you know, by putting your name down. Yeah. Absolutely. And people talk about mentors a lot. And I definitely believe in mentorship. I'm a person who mentors people. But the thing that people don't talk about is I don't believe it is beneficial to get only mentors who align with your goals and your vision and really like, love and trust you. You got to get some mentors that you don't really like and they kind of piss you off. They're going to dig in there, right? (laughs) Right. Because they're going to show you your blind spots. And even though you may not agree with all of their feedback, I literally just came out of a season with a mentor that a couple of times I was like, who are you? But it gave me insight into how other people who think like her would view me. Mm -hmm. And how would I approach that? Mm. Yeah. I know my boss had some information to give me the other day, some feedback she received on me. And in my head, I was like, mm, who gave, who said that? But like, I know that's wrong, but you're right. It gives you insight into what other people either perceive or what they're saying about you. And I was like, okay, I got something for you. <laughs> you want, you want me to drive results? I'm going to drive right over you. <laughs> that part. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about feedback. Mm, Yes. I think feedback is important, Mm -hmm. but the conversations that we don't have, especially related to the workplace, is that feedback is biased. It is implicitly biased. And as a person who has been given feedback that I know was strategically aimed to humble me, Mm -hmm. understand that when you're having a conversation with a leader, especially somebody that you work with on a daily basis, a lot of the times their feedback is pointed. And there has to come a point where you say to yourself, okay, am I going to subject myself to a lifetime of biased feedback from a person I don't respect? Or am I going to take my ball and go home? Because that's an option. Right. You always have an option. Yes. Yes. There are always options. You know, as a person who recently came out of the closet as a elder millennial, I definitely identified as a Gen X. I was like, I'm not a millennial. Yes, I am. I'm a millennial. (laughs) I am. I'm right on the cusp. I have a lot of millennial traits. But the problem is the stuff, these folks who got raised on hugs and and time out. Uh Uh-huh. And we got whoopings. See, I still got whoopings. Yes, that. We were crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Very much. We are with the fight the power, right? So as an elder millennial, we are the ones that started with, we're not taking y'all foolishness. Mm -hmm. And by the way, you ain't giving us nothing no more. Wages have been stagnant since the 70s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't get a pension and a gold watch. Mm -hmm. What the hell are we staying here for? We out. Yeah. I literally thought like, right out of school. I'm like, oh, I'm only going to stay with this company two, three years. I stayed there 14 years, but it was towards that end because they kept boom, boom. I was moving. I was like, okay, this is great. you know. But once it started getting stagnant, I went back to school later. I got my MBA. Once I could see that didn't mean anything to them. They weren't going to you know, reward me for that. No promotion, no raise. There was no growth in the company. When it when you start hitting that that ceiling where you're not going anywhere, it was time to go. I knew I had to go. Absolutely, Mm -hmm. it is absolutely time to go. For me, I stayed. Okay, let me be very clear. When I got my first job at 25 with Mm -hmm. a pension that my grandma was proud, I was there for the long haul. Right. 
There was no, we're going to move around. Everything that I'm telling you, I've learned over my journey. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, I believe God intervened, was like, nah, baby, you got to get up out of here. Because I was trying to stay. I was trying to make myself fit into who, who they wanted me to be, but I wasn't her. Yeah. I tried. It was making me sick. It was making me depressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where on Sundays at three o'clock, I started getting headaches. Just that anticipation of having to go back. Yeah. Who wants to be in a space all the time where people don't like, love, and trust you? It's not, it doesn't feel good. It's not healthy. Yeah. Awful. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, because I was at that point, I was a little tired of being crazy, right? I was like, I was still only like 28, 29, right? I'm still youngish. Why can't I make myself fit? Why can't I be like the people who were around me, who seemingly were okay being there 20, 30 years? Like, I thought this was the strangest thing. There were people who went to high school together that worked there together. Like, y'all knew each other since high school? Right. And you're still here. Yeah. Very weird. I told you, Connecticut is a weird place. So I digress. (laughs) It was like then I had an epiphany and the Lord opened my eyes to what was around. Mm -hmm. I was like, hold up. These people are not doing well. These people are sick. Every other week we taking up an offering for somebody with cancer. They coming in in wheelchairs, IV bags, gurneys, carts. Everybody's sick. Colostomy bags. No, baby. (laughs) Oh, no. They're coming to work. No. Sick. <laughs> Talking about this is a sick building. No, it's not. No, no. It's a stressful environment and your body cannot take it. Well, you got to look at those, pay attention to those signs around you. Yeah. That's when I had the epiphany. I felt like, yo, I'm in the fight for my life. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm either going to stay here mm-hmm. and be that. Mm hmm. Or I'm going to take a risk on myself and we're going to figure this out on the way. Yeah. And so here we are. So I left. I got a raise and promotion again. 50%. Hey, yes. I'm telling you, I am telling you that is the quickest way to get a raise and promotion. If you ain't happy, bounce. But before you go, make sure you're getting everything you can get. Mm -hmm. Corporate and even, you know, the academia, they will run you into the ground and they will replace you as soon as. Ma'am. So take from them, like you said, those trainings, the investments they put into you, take all of that and you can use it and apply it somewhere else. They will kill you Mm -hmm. and not even send your family an edible arrangement before they have posted your job. Listen, Mm -hmm. right. (laughs) And people be like, who was that? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that was the nice black girl as your pictures on the flyer. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. It is not worth it. From there, I became a consultant went from place to place consulting, which was great, you know, being a subcontractor. And then it didn't get stagnant because I went to a lot of places. I was really fortunate to not ever have sat on the bench, meaning not have a contract. Mm -hmm. I went Kaiser. I was at Cape Cod Health. I was at CVS, a whole lot of places on my roster. And then COVID happened. And my anxiety was probably at a 10. Because that was the first time in my life I'd ever gotten laid off. Hindsight being 2020, if I would have known then what I know now, I would have been chilling. Right, right. Who knew how long that was going to last? And just the anticipation of what to do next. Oh, my God. So I got laid off two days before my birthday, which is the end of June, June 25th. Shout out to the cancers. 
(laughs) 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 And I had a job by Labor Day. I mean, so I really could have just took my summer off and chilled. Somebody taught me very early in life, all things work together for good. But in that moment, it was hard for me to believe. Right. It's hard to see it when you're in it, right? Baby. (laughs) We have a church up in here. (laughs) Right there. (laughs) So that was my experience. And then I was like, you know, being a subcontractor is great. But like, you missing out on some money. So in the middle of a pandemic, didn't make any sense. I started my own company. There you go. And I have these three different things that I do that represent all the things that make me up. I have Mm -hmm. my IT training, consulting, business analyst work. Yeah. I have my coaching and speaking. Mm -hmm. And then I do my podcast. Yes. And that is how I ended up doing what I love. It was a long journey and you would have never been able to tell me 20 years ago, this is where I would have ended up. Mm -hmm. But through every experience, I paid attention to the things that I liked, to the things that gave me energy. And I said, that's what I want to do. I like that. I like that part. And so I would encourage you if you are in the space and listening and you don't know what you want to do with your life, pay attention to the things that give you energy, the things that you're excited about doing. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes when you are doing a hobby or something that you enjoy, something that you're very passionate about, sometimes that can also lead to the pressure of it, of when you have to then perform it, you know? So like, what would you say for, for those people who, okay, yes, I'm, you know, maybe I'm passionate about crocheting and I'm going to start my own crochet company and I'm putting out products. And then after a while, it's like, well, dad, I really enjoyed it when I was making things for me and my sister, but now I got to make you 12 like booties and matching blankets. You know, like how can people still keep that joy in these things that they do? Ooh, I love that question because I really have firsthand experience with that in my life. Yeah. So we talked about the fact that I was a singer and I was a music major. Well, young Candace's life was a singer in high school. Everybody knew I was a singer. Um, I won a lot of competitions. I represented my school on the state and the national level and won all these awards that are in my garage right now. (laughs) Candace went to school. And was a music major. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like it. Mm, Right. I didn't like it because it took the joy away from me. And at the time, I didn't have the language to articulate why I didn't like it. I was just like, this is different. It wasn't like this before. It used to be fun. Why does it suck now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would say to anyone in that scenario, well, let me take a step back. And I stopped singing. For a very long time, I wouldn't sing. People who knew me knew that I sang, but I didn't sing. Not in a church choir, not in a community choir. Mm -hmm. I sang in my car and in my house (laughs) at home. That was it. And it wasn't until I got put in the path of some people who were musicians Mm -hmm. and started singing again, but more on my terms. There you go. Mm Mm-hmm. Choir rehearsal's fun. Yeah, I have a voice where I could lead a solo, but I'm happy singing in the choir. I like singing in the choir. Yeah. I don't want to lead worship. I can. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. There you go. So I would say 
if it's something you enjoy, make sure as things are being added or you make choices, you're still enjoying it. There you go. Mm-hmm. So now Candace sings. I sing in a church choir for the first time in a very long time. Okay. But I am happily in the second row minding my business. <laughs> and I'm happy with that. I don't need to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. And I'm good with that. You have to be really honest with yourself. And I think that's one of the reasons why people have an issue with being resilient. That's what I talk about yeah. in my work, mm-hmm. building your resilience. You have to be able to inventory yourself. Yeah. And, be, and that means being really honest about, I like this, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's not mean. Right. If you don't tell yourself the truth, how can you expect anyone else to? And it really brings up something that comes up a lot on Improper Mimi. It's like whether this is home, whether it's work, or whether you're having play, you're doing burlesque, or you're doing something else, boundaries, 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 because that helps you to protect your joy. It lets you... Like you said, you want to be sure that you're still enjoying it, that you're still having fun. If you accept that order for 12 booties and blankets, you may not have fun. You may not have, you, your whole summer may be shot working. You could say, mm, I could do two and then go on with your life. You'll have fun doing that. You'll bring joy to somebody else with your craft and your talent, but you also will still have fun to re, like re, refill yourself. I often think about, you know, again, pouring out all your talents, but who's refilling you? Like, like when are you going to refill yourself and enjoy and take that time to breathe for yourself? Those boundaries help protect your health. And we know health is wealth. So, so important. That's exactly right. If you don't advocate for yourself, no one will. Mm hmm. I mean, listen, I'm sure that we could keep going on with all different tidbits and points of information. As we get ready to wrap up, though, I want to just let you like, what would be like any key information that you want to leave with the people to let them know, like, how do you transition? How do you change, you know, your career, you know, or or even just like bits of knowledge that you want to leave with the people? (laughs) Ooh, I love that. The key thing that I talk about in my speaking and also on my podcast is resilience. Yes. I believe if you're going to be successful in anything, you need to be resilient. Mm -hmm. At the base of that is resilient. I actually created a framework to help people remember what they should do to employ resilience in their life. And it's called Bail Yourself Out, which is why that's the name of my podcast, Bail Yourself Out. Yeah. Because you're going to believe that you can. Everything starts in your mind. If you don't believe, then you won't. Mm -hmm. You will manifest what you think. Right. You have to accept change as a normal part of the process. That's the A. That's big. Because life be life in. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you're still thinking back there, you're not going to go forward. Exactly. And the truth of the matter is literally nothing happens the way we planned it 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. (laughs) Change is constant. That is a fact. (laughs) The only thing consistent in life is change. Mm -hmm. But when you approach it with that perspective, 
I think it's easier not to fall apart because you're like, all right, you expect we're going to have to pivot. Yeah. Yeah. The I is inventory. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to inventory your skills and your abilities, what you like and what you don't like, Mm -hmm. but also inventory the skills and abilities available to you in your network. Okay. Yes. At the beginning of this year, my mentor, the one I didn't really like, suggested that I create a podcast. Mm -hmm. Now I can speak. I'm certainly no stranger to speaking in front of people. And as a matter of fact, I had a radio show in college. Girl, it's all coming out. Yes. (laughs) There are no wasted experiences. Right. right? It all builds who you are. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. Who am I going to talk to? What am I going to talk about? Not a problem. Mm-hmm. But when I looked around and said, yo, my cousin has a podcast. Let me ask him about it. Mm-hmm. And I said, yo, this other friend would be really interesting to interview on a podcast. I'd listen to it. Mm-hmm. And, and what about this friend who does that? That was me inventorying the skills that were available to me in my network. And I definitely believe and encourage people to ask, right? Because the worst thing a person will say is no. But if they say yes, then you are to the better for it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then last but not least is to learn from your experiences. Mm -hmm. But then I also like to take it a step further. Learn from the experiences of other people. I have a child. I love my child. But she is one of those people that does not learn from the experiences of other people. Like she has to do that. And it's very frustrating to me. (laughs) You're like, I have a map for you. You could follow it. And she's like, no, I'm going to (laughs) explore. This is very frustrating Mm -hmm. because I am that person. If I knew that you knew something and you didn't tell me, now I feel a way about you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Because you could have saved me some heartache. Mm-hmm. And I think very often it is through the experiences that we should learn through, but also the experiences of others that we can build the life that we want. And that is how you maintain the resilience in your life to yeah. achieve what you want to do. That is beautiful. I love that. And you can use that bail to bail yourself out. <laughs> bail yourself out. <laughs> Awesome. Excellent. Well, Candace, thank you so much. Why don't you tell everybody also where we can find you? I mean, we spoke about the, you know, consulting agency. We spoke about the podcast, but how and where is the best way that everyone can find you? If you want to check out my pods, we are Bail Yourself Out on all socials. Mm -hmm. And the website is bailyourselfoutpod.com. If you are interested in getting a training or a change management program developed by my company. It is alpha and omega consulting inc.com. And if you want to follow me, I'm Candace with a K like Judy with an I and Liza with a Z on socials. Awesome. (laughs) Well, I love it. I am so glad that we met with Blackest Tech and that we are able to just build and bond this relationship from that going forward. And I know that there'll be more to come, you know, where we can chat and even do different things together as well. So awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) We definitely have to have you as a guest in the happy hour lounge. Oh yes. That'll be fun. Improper Mimi will be there. (laughs) (laughs) Just remember we love Jesus, but we drink and we cuss a little. That's what we do in the lounge. We like to have fun too. So, 
Oh, man. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in for another episode of Improper Mimi, where we talk about things that empower women at home, work, and play. I hope you really picked up some nuggets from today's episode with Candace, where we talked about our career and resilience and how you, too, can keep going. So don't stop. Keep being as fabulous as you are. And remember, Improper Mimi's taking a little break because we're working on something special for you this fall. It's going to be about family. It's going to be a little different than, you know, you know, just being improper, but we're going to talk about family and we're going to share some things that I think will really help everyone get to know Mimi Jacks a little better. So as we take this break from Improper Mimi, don't worry. You can still send me your topics, your suggestions on what we should talk about, what questions you have. Just go on over to ImproperMimi.com, leave Mimi a message, or you can always DM me on social. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, (laughs) or X, whatever you call that again. Or DM me your questions on social. You know you can always get in touch with Improper Mimi. I will miss you guys, but I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Ciao.